Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. And always a great pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And we've got some exciting material that I look forward to sharing with you. We're going to look at, uh, since our show is dedicated on the great sages of the Jewish people, um, we're going to look at three particular sages, all of whom have had their two, one's had his yotzite and the other two yotzites are coming up. Um, and then we'll look a little bit into Parshas Noyach and we'll discuss uh, some fascinating insights into who Noyach was and uh, what we can learn from him. So let's start off with today. Today is Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan, the month of Cheshvan. Today is the first of Cheshvan, and it's actually also known as the month of Mar Cheshvan. Mar in Hebrew is bitter, the bitter month of Cheshvan. Why is that? What's bitter about Cheshvan? Um, it's not only because you're going into autumn in the northern hemisphere in Eretz Israel, but the main reason why it's called Mar Cheshvan is because we're coming from the month of Tishrei. And the month of Tishrei was the month which was so rich with Yomim Tovim. And now we go into Cheshvan and it's impoverished because there's no Yomim Tovim in the month of Cheshvan. So the contrast is stark. Um, however, we move into Cheshvan as different people, changed people. We've now built a platform upon which to live our entire year. We've been through the incredibly powerful days of Tishrei, the 22 days of Tishrei, which are supposed to transform us and change our lives. The first 10 days of Tishrei are focused on Tshuva Shil Yira. We, con- we are very much aware of the din, of the judgment that's taking place of Rosh Hashanah, which when the judgment begins of a series of Tshuva, when Hashem is, uh, for most of us, it's pending the judgment. And then Yom Kippur is when the judgment is closed of course, the climax being Na'ila, when the gates are finally closed and the judgment is sealed. Um, and then we have until Hoshana Rabbah, until the emissaries of the court are sent out to carry out the judgment. But then from Yom Kippur, we switch from Tshuva Shil Yira to Tshuva Shil Ava. We've now regenerated our connection with Hashem. We uh, have a new and fresh relationship and we enjoy that closeness. We enjoy Hashem's presence. We enjoy being in Hashem's embrace in the sukkah. And we revel in our closeness to Hashem. And those are then the next 11 days of Tishrei, 12 days of Tishrei. And we then conclude with Shmini Atzeres Simchas Torah. And we end with the conclusion of the reading of the Torah, the end of the cycle of the Torah reading. And that too is a great celebration of Kalei Israel. Now that we've recreated our relationship with Hashem and we've enjoyed the closest to our Hashem, we leave this new reality with the Torah. Torah being our connection to eternity, the Torah being our our um, connection to God. And so we celebrate with the Torah and we hold the Torah and we dance with the Torah and we 
Without alcohol, we feel intoxicated with the love of Hashem, the closeness to Hashem, the connection we have with God, with the eternal being, through the Torah that He gave us at Mount Sinai. And that is the climax and that is the conclusion of these awesome days of Tishrei. And that is now the, the foundation upon which we build our year. So although we transition from Tishrei into Cheshvan, and we go into Mar Cheshvan where there's no Yom Tovim, but we are changed people, we are new people, we have this freshly um, created connection with God, and we therefore move in, although we're physically exhausted, we're spiritually rejuvenated, and to excuse the pun, rejuvenated, and now we're ready to face the year with our new approach, with our new connection, with our dedication to Hashem and dedication to the Torah. So that is the month of Cheshvan, which begins today, and uh, and that's the first of Cheshvan, which is today. Um, so today is being the second day of Rosh Chodesh, the first day of Cheshvan, and so we still say Yale Yavo in davening at Mincha this afternoon, and uh, at benching um, for lunch today. So if you're eating your lunch, don't forget to say Yale Yavo in the benching. Tomorrow, the second of Cheshvan, is the Yotzat of Rabbi Simcha Vassaman. Rabbi Simcha Vassaman was one of the greatest Torah scholars of the 20th century. And he was uh, the son of Rav Elchanan Vassaman. And I've spoken many times about Rav Elchanan. In fact, a few weeks ago it was his Yotzat. And we spoke about Rav Elchanan in quite a lot of detail. He was the great um, student of the Chovetz Chaim. And he was the one who actually, um, the Chovetz Chaim said, would take over the mantle of leadership of Klal Yisrael. Uh, Rav Ochanan was a tremendous person, a great Talmud Chochem, a person of great insight and understanding and responsibility for Klal Yisrael. He was murdered by the Nazis in 1941 at the Sixth Fort um, in Lithuania. I've actually been there and walked the same walk that Rav Ochanan went on before he was murdered um, by the Nazis. And his son, Rav Simcha, and his wife got out of Lithuania. He was able to get them out. And uh, Rav Simcha went to the United States, and he and his wife lived there for many decades. They were not blessed with any children, but they had many, many thousands of Talmudim, of students in France, in the United States, in Eretz Israel. I was blessed to be one of the Talmudim in Eretz Israel. At the end of Rav Simcha's life, when I was in Osameach Yeshiva, he was still teaching in the Yeshiva, who is a man in his late 80s, and he came in three times a week to teach, and I loved every moment of his classes uh, because not only his wisdom but his love for his fellow Jews just shone brightly from him and was palpable when you were in his presence. I remember one day it was snowing in uh, Eretz Israel and most of the Rabonim didn't come in because it was very difficult to travel, public transport was not operating. But uh, Rab Simcha's class was at 2 o'clock and 5 to 2 in he he walks in with a smile on his face like all the younger body couldn't get there. Asimcha makes it through the snow. So, you know, perhaps he grew up in Lithuania, so he was more used to it. But he didn't miss the class that he taught to to his Talmudim. And uh, a person of tremendous love and tremendous depth and tremendous wisdom. I remember eating in his home um, and I was struck. One of the, the uh, most vivid memories I have of being in, in Eretz Yisrael, in Yerushalayim, and those was in the 1990s, was the home of Rav Simcha and his wife. And the tremendous love they had for each other. They had the most beautiful relationship. And you could just feel 
the respect and the love and the connection they had. I was very moved by that. I was very touched by that. I remember sitting at Rav Sinclair's table and somebody asked him a question in Kabbalah. I was a Balchuva like me who didn't have much background, but you know, we are attracted to like the Kabbalistic things when we're getting involved in Yiddishkeit. And uh, Rav Simcha like, was very humble and he said, well, I don't really know the answer to that question. And his wife looked at him and said, if you don't answer that question, who will answer the question? Just tell him the answer. So he very eloquently and brilliantly gave uh, the most profound and deep answer to the question, but he was so hidden, he didn't want to show that he knew uh, the deep uh, Kabbalistic wisdom. Um, and so he, he kind of like wanted to fob it off, but his wife wouldn't let him get away with it. So uh, to, tomorrow is the Yotzad of Simcha. Um, his wife died 10 days after him. Simcha passed away, then his wife 10 days later. And she said that she ha- she was not well, but she held on. She said, I had, to, I had to hold on because I had to make sure that somebody sat Shiva for Rav Simcha because they didn't have any children. So there was nobody else to sit Shiva. So she held on in order that she would give him the honor and respect that she would sit Shiva for him. Um, I was at both his funeral and at her funeral, and they were just remarkable people. Rav Simcha had an incredible understanding for him. He had like a, a sense what we call in Hebrew a chush for other human beings. Um, there's once a story told about him that he was looking to buy a second-hand car in Los Angeles, and he went to a particular place, and he asked if he could go on the test drive, and the person said to him, how do I know that you're not going to steal the car? So Simcha then said, okay, don't worry about it. Um, I, I won't have a test drive. He then went, he called the police. He said, I want to report a stolen car. The police came and they checked it out and it was actually a stolen car. So they said to him, how did you know? He said, well, it's quite simple. He said, when I asked for a test drive, he suspected that I would steal the car. He said, only a thief thinks that way. Um, and therefore, um, he was right. It was actually a stolen car. So tomorrow is the Yotzad of And I personally and many others remember him with great, with great love and great joy. Um, many of us here in Johannesburg are connected to Rabbi Tetz, Rabbi Akiva Tetz. Rabbi Tetz, an outstanding orator who was responsible for many, many uh, Jews returning to observant Judaism, myself included. And uh, Rabbi Tetz actually um, is, was related to Rav Simcha. They had uh, a family um, on Rabbi Tetz's mother's side. Um, they were part of the same family. So he was very close to Rav Simcha and uh, often told wonderful things about his experiences with, with Rav Simcha. So that's tomorrow, the 2nd of Cheshvan. And uh, we've got many more exciting sites coming up, so look forward to sharing them with you when we return in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we can continue to talk about the great sages within the Jewish people. Focus on the sages is the title of this show. And uh, on so tomorrow being um, Thursday, Friday, Erev Shabbos, is the third of Cheshvan. And the third of Cheshvan is the Yotzeit of Rabbi Vadia Yosef. Rabbi Vadia Yosef was the Sephardi chief rabbi of Israel, and he founded the political party called Shas, the Shas political party. Um, Rabbi Ovadia Yosef was born in Iraq and uh, he became the 
leader of the Sephardi spiritual world um, in in the uh, last uh, few decades, and he was very very um, keen on. He was emphasized greatly the the richness of the tradition of Sephardi Jewry, and uh, he wanted to make Sephardi Jews appreciate and understand and value the rich heritage that they have. And he was very successful at doing that in Eretz Yisrael, um, and he reached many, many people. He published many works, uh, he, the multi-volume Yabia Oimer and Yechaves Das, um, which had thousands of chuvas, of responses that um, he wrote with regards to different shalas that he received. Um, and he was one of the greatest Jews that has lived in Eretz Yisrael in the last 50 years. Um, his funeral was attended by uh, in excess of 800,000 people, myself included. I was also there. Um, it's probably the largest Jewish gathering in uh, 2,000 years in, in the land of Israel. So um, that's on Friday, the third of Cheshvan, the Yotzat of the Chacham, Rabbi Avadia Yosef, who did so much to improve the plight of Sfari Jewry and to return the greatness and value of the heritage of Sfari Jews and galvanizing Sfari Jews in Eretz Israel and around the world. I remember actually when I was living in Israel, um, every Motsi Shabbos he would uh, give a shear and it would be live on the radio and I would often listen to it and I really enjoyed it very much. His depth of understanding and his also gentle nature in dealing with people and in dealing with the different shilas that he had, and in dealing with uh, his leadership of the Jewish people of Klal Yisrael. Okay, great. So now I want to move from um, from the future, which is tomorrow and Friday, Yotzat. I want to go back to a Yotzat. On the 19th of Tishrei was the Yotzat of the great and holy Gorn of Vilna, the Vilna Gorn. And uh, because of the Yom Yutobim, because there was actually Cholomay Tzukas, so we didn't have a chance to discuss the Vulnagoyan, and uh, I don't want to miss that opportunity because it's so important to make reference to and discuss who the great and holy um, Rav Eliyahu ben Shlomo Zalman um, Kramer, the Vulnagoyan. So the Vulnagoyan, so again, his Yotzad was 12 days ago, on the 19th of Tishrei, and um, the Vulnagoyan, he died in the year 1797. Um so it's over 200 years that he died, um, that he passed away, 223 years, 225 years actually. So now this was the 225th Yotzat of the Goan. Um, and the Goan, he, he was born in 1720, so he died in the age of 77 years old. The Goan was somebody who's in the 18th century's influence of the Jewish world was absolutely massive. It was, what was, uh, his, his influence and his leadership was very, very significant to the, the Jews in Eastern Europe in the um, 18th century. Um, he, he was a unbelievable Eloi. Eloi is like a genius. He was an unbelievable genius. When he was, uh, at the, he, he was actually the son of uh, one of the Dayanim of the Basin of Vilna. Um, at the age of four, he knew all of Tanakh Bahot. All of the Tanakh, the 24 books of the Tanakh, he knew them by the age of four. Unbelievable. It's like just, you know, incredible to think of such a thing. At the age of six, his father brought him to the Menschul in Vilma. 
and he was speaking Divrei Torah. Um, he gave like a Divrei Torah. And the, the Ab based in the Vilna, who was in the shul at the time, he said, let's, th- this boy is quite a, a, a mind. Let, uh, it was Shabbos morning that he gave this like Divrei Torah to the community. He said, let's give him a topic, let him prepare it, and he'll, uh, he'll give us a talk on that topic at Shalasudas, which will be this afternoon, which they did so. And at the age of six, he gave this drosha, this talk, to these uh, the Jews in the main shul in Vilna. And they were individuals that knew a lot. They were Tamidei Chachamim. And he completely blew them away. And they were flabbergasted that a six-year-old boy had such a depth of understanding and so eloquently could explain the, the subject matter that from them on they knew that this boy was destined not only for greatness, but for uh, stardom, which was beyond what anybody had achieved up until that stage in in, in those times in the 18th century. Um, they say by the age of 11, he knew the entire shas, the entire Talmud Baalpeh. He could repeat any page in the Talmud, which is 1,711 pages, but they're double pages. So it's 2,400 Sorry, it's uh, 3,422 pages. He knew of Bahat by the age of 11, which is quite unbelievable. Um, he went to write many, many famous works. He wrote on Shas, on the Talmud. He wrote on the Shulchan Aruch, the Bi'ure Agra, the uh, insights of the Gra are learned when we learn the Shulchan Aruch, we learn Halacha. Um, he wrote a perush on the Chamish Shechum Torah, on the five books of the Torah called Aderes Eliyahu, which is uh, a work of absolute genius. He wrote many Sfarim in Kabbalah. He mastered Kabbalah too. Um, he wrote a very famous parish to Mishle, which is one of the most famous Musa works that we can study. It's a real treat to learn the Gra, the Vulnagoran on Mishle. The Gra stands for Agon Rav Eliyahu. Um, he wrote a famous parish on Megillus Esther. He wrote on the Haggadah of Pesach. He wrote a famous parish on Sefer Yonah, and so the list goes on. He was prolific, and he was uh, his genius was just indescribable, absolutely indescribable. His influence on the educational system in Klai Yisrael was also extremely significant and worth mentioning. Um, up until the times of the Vilna Gaon, so people, the education system within Klai Yisrael is that people would the the, the children would go to Cheda until their bar mitzvah. And um, after their bar mitzvah, so they would go out and work. They wouldn't stay, remain in learning. Um, just the select few that the Rav of that town identified would remain and learn with the Rav, and he would then tutor them, and he would then uh, he would then um, educate them in Torah learning. And that was like a small percentage, a very small percentage. The, the rest of the children would then go out and, and help the family earn a living from that age. That's how generally the educational system worked. But the, the Vilna Goan saw that towns were changing, that there was the Haskalah, the Enlightenment movement, that there was a threat to ensuring that the Torah would be transferred to the next generation in Israel. And so he realized that educational institutions were now necessary within the Jewish world and that that old system would no longer manage to um, to pass on the tradition to the next generation. And so he discussed this at length with his main Talmud, Rabbi Chaim of Elohim. Rabbi Chaim wanted to then open a yeshiva, which would be the first 
institution of this nature that would be designed to, there would be a curriculum and the Talmudian, the students would learn that curriculum. And it wouldn't just be a single rabbi educating a future Talmudian. It would be a large Torah learning institution, which was quite a radical thought at that time. It had never been done before. The Goan encouraged him to do it. The Goan advised him to do it. The Goan said this was necessary for the survival of Torah within Klal Yisrael. Um, he, Reb Chaim wanted to open it while the Goan was still alive. Reb Goan said, we're not ready. It's not the right time. And after the death of the Goan, the, 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 just before he died, he indicated, he told Reb Chaim of Elohim that now is the time. You need to do it now. He wasn't able to actually get it off the ground, Reb Chaim, while the Goan was still alive. But just after he died in, in 1803, that's when he opened the first yeshiva in Lithuania, the first yeshiva really in, in Europe. Uh, called the Velozhina Yeshiva, and it became, it, it, it remained open until 1893, if I'm not mistaken, or 1895, um, and it became the, the factory, the, uh, basis of Torah learning for the future generations of Klai Israel. And many, many great individuals went through the doors of Velozhin and were able then to Opened their own yeshivas and, and uh, it was the mother of the yeshivas. The yeshiva movement then grew. Uh, it gave birth to the yeshiva movement and many of the great yeshivas that had uh, an indescribable impact on the Jewish world. To this day we feel that impact. Um, were from Talmudim who went through Vedoshim. Um, the Mir yeshiva, the, um, the Tels yeshiva, the Slobotka yeshiva, the Panovich yeshiva, they were all then offshoots of of Velozhin, which was started by Rav Chaim Velozhin, which was set up by and and um, conceptualized through the thinking of the Vilna Gaon, with the Vilna Gaon's um, directives to Rav Chaim Velozhin, who led to the development of the Yeshiva movement, which really saved um, European Jewry. And uh, the, the great Yeshivas of today, whether they're in Eretz Yisrael, whether they're in the United States, um, are really um, continue to to be offshoots of the original Vedoshin Yeshiva, um, which was opened at the behest and guidance of the Vilna Gaon. Um, there's a there's a, actually an amazing story that Rav Chaim of Vedoshin is halacha that if we go to a place where a miracle happened to us, in other words, where we were saved by some miraculous um, intervention of Hashem. Like if you had a serious car accident in a particular place, or um, or, or some other, or, or very uh, a very dangerous illness, and you were saved. So when a person goes to that place where they were saved, they should say a brocha. Um, they, if they haven't been there for thirty days, they would say this brocha: Al brocha ata Hashem Elokeinu Melech Haolam, blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the world, sheasa neis li that you performed the miracle for me in this place. So that's what we're supposed to do. And a person also on that date is supposed to have a sudas hodar, a, uh, a meal of thanks to Hashem for saving that person. Um, each year, um, they mark that date with a special suda, a special meal, um, in appreciation to Hashem. So the Rafaim Velozhin used to say that brocha, she'asali neis b'makamazeh, whenever he went to a certain bridge in Lithuania. And obviously he wasn't there often, he wasn't there it was more than 30 days when he went to that place. And they asked him, you know, why did you say, why are you saying this brocha at this place every time you come here? 
And he said, because I'll tell you a story. Um, there was once a very cold, icy um, winter's night. And there was a man who was walking across this bridge. He was holding a, a small baby when he was walking across. And he slipped on the ice. And the baby fell out of his hands and fell in the freezing cold water below. And uh, he screamed and he shouted and he ran down and he got help. And they were able to get the – he jumped in the water and he was able to pull the baby out the water. But the baby was, you know, it was freezing cold water. The baby was going to die of, of hypothermia. It was so cold, that water. And they ran into a house that was next to the bridge and there, there was a fire burning and they put the baby by the fire, put the baby's feet by the fire. And thank God the baby survived. But in the tumult and commotion, the baby's feet were actually burned by the fire. Um, and this baby was a girl, a baby girl. And she grew up and she had got married and she had a child and that child was the Vulnagon. So that was the mother of the Vulnagon that this happened to. So Chaim Veloshna said that brocha every time he came to that bridge. So they said to him, that brocha is if a miracle happened to you, not if it happened to somebody else. So he said, because the mother of the Vulnagon was saved at this bridge and she gave birth to the Vulnagon and the Vulnagon saved my life, changed my life, made me who I am spiritually so it's as if that miracle happened to me. Hashem did a miracle for me at this bridge. And therefore he said, So we see the extent of his respect for the Goan and how he regarded the Goan's teachings and the Goan's direct, uh, directing him as being completely life-changing and life-transforming for himself. There's an amazing story about the Goan um, in that um, once the, in Vilna, there was a, a young man and a young lady got married. And straight off the Shiva Brochas, this man left town <clears throat> and he ran away. He never came back. And he, the, this poor woman, she was now married to this man. Nobody knew where he was. She couldn't marry somebody else because, you know, her husband was alive. They just didn't know where he was and obviously put her in the most terrible position. And he never returned. For years and years, this woman was left alone without this husband, without being able to marry somebody else. And it was a, a tragic situation. And then one day, from nowhere, another, uh, somebody appears in town, and he claims to be the wife of the, uh, the husband of this woman. He claims that this woman is his, his wife. And um, they cross-examined him, and they asked him all the questions about the background and about his wife's family, about his wife, and about... Um, Everything that he should have known if he was married to her, and he was able to answer every question. He was like, no problem. Quickly answered anything they asked him. So they thought, wow, this must be the guy. But she said, this woman said, no, this is not my husband. They said, when he left, he didn't have a beard. Now he has a beard. You just don't recognize. She said, no, I can tell you, this is not my husband. And so they didn't know what to do. He seemed to know all the answers. She was very clear that it wasn't the right person. And so, they were really in a difficult situation. They went to the Goan. And the Goan said, okay, let's see. He said, what you should do is you should go with this woman's father, who is his father-in-law. Go with him to Shul. And let the father-in-law be distracted as they come into the Shul. And let's see where he sits. Because it's traditional that, of course, the son-in-law sits next to the father-in-law. You know, in Shul, we all have a makom kavur. We have a place where we daven from. And the father-in-law would go to his, would have a place. And so the son-in-law should go daven with his father-in-law in his place. 
So let the father-in-law be distracted and let's see if he knows where the place is of his father-in-law. And so they set up the plan. They go in. The father-in-law gets distracted. This guy goes to sit. He goes to sit in the wrong place. And then they press him and they say, you're not the right person. And eventually he cracks and he admits that he was a liar and that he was in jail somewhere with the the person who was the first husband and he got all the information and he was pretending. And so they went to the girl and they said, how do you know? How did you work that out and know that this, you know, this was the way to, to show him up and to show that he was lying? And the Goran said, because the way a Ramai, the way a dishonest person thinks, he'll think of all the things to ask and all the facts to gather all the details, but he won't think of Devarim Shibbe Kedusha. He won't think of Inyane de Kedusha, holy things, because that doesn't enter into his frame of reference. That's not something that's a part of his life. So the way to test him to see was if in this area of Kedusha did he know what the right thing to do, what the right place to go is, and that would indicate whether he was legitimate or not. So that, that was the genius of the guy, you know. He thought of such a thing. It's just a, a illustration of his tremendous genius and his phenomenal understanding of human beings and, of course, understanding of Torah. Um, the Goan was buried, as I mentioned, in 1797 in the old cemetery in Vilna. And... Um, the, when the, the communists took over Lithuania after the Second World War, so they, uh, um, they wanted to, in 1953, to build a stadium on the site of the old, uh, Vilna Cemetery. And, um, that is where the Gorn was buried. And one of the great, uh, rabbis in America, Rabbi Pincus Tights, he was obviously very, uh, concerned by this, and he arranged through his influence in the Senate and, and pressure on Russia, the Russian government, that they would be able to exhume some bodies. They exhumed 10 bodies. One of them was the Vulnagon's body. In 1950, they exhumed the bodies. He went there of tarts. He was there. I heard this personally from his daughter. His daughter spoke in Mashul, and she said he, her father was there, and he saw them exhuming the body of the Gorn, which was 100% intact. It wasn't, it hadn't decomposed at all. So they say that about the Tzadikim holy people because the Neshoma is so strong and it permeates into the body so that even the body becomes eternal and doesn't uh, deteriorate, it doesn't decompose. They saw that more than 150 years after the Gohan was buried. Um, please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So, as I mentioned, we're going to discuss a little bit about Noyach. Noyach, the, the, this week we read Pasha's Noyach. So, after Simcha's Torah, we finish reading um, the, the last Pasha of the Torah, Zosah Brocha. Then we start Bereshis. Last Shabbos was Pasha's Bereshis, so we start the cycle again. And uh, this Shabbos, we read Pasha's Noyach. And there's an interesting limud, there's an interesting uh, a lesson to learn from Noyach. I heard this from Rabbi David Lichtenstein, which I think is a beautiful insight. Um, it says in Perak Zayin, Pasuk Zayin, so chapter 7, verse 7, it says, So Noyach and his children and his wife and his daughters-in-law, they came to the Teva, to the ark that Noyach had built, because of the waters of the flood. Rashi says, even Noach was a person of low faith, 
of katan, of small imuna. Ma'amin ve'enu ma'amin. He believed and he didn't believe. She'yavu ha'mabu, that the marble will come, that the flood will come, as Hashem had said. Lo nichnas le'teva ad she'dachkuhu ha'mayim. And he didn't enter into the ark until the water actually um, forced him to go in. Once he saw the rain was building, it wasn't in before. It was only when the, the rains came that he got into the ark. So he didn't trust Hashem. He was yes and no, maybe yes, maybe no. So that's on the one hand. That's what the Pasuk says about Noah. On the other hand, we know, it said previously, Ela told us Noah, these are the generations of Noah, as the Pasha begins, Noah ish tzadik tamim haya b'dorasav. Noah was a tzadik, a holy, righteous person, tamim, complete in his righteousness, was Noah. So it seems to be a contradiction, doesn't it? On the one hand, the Torah calls Noach a ish tzadik tamim. On the other hand, it says he was mikatne amuna. He only went into the ark when he was forced to go in because of the water, because of the the flood. So it's a, there's a beautiful lesson we can learn from this in order to resolve this apparent contradiction. Um, you know, often we read these biographies about great holy tzadikim righteous individual individuals, holy people, and you know, like. Often in these books, it makes out that they were like born holy and their whole life they were holy. And when they came into this world, the whole house was male or was full of light. Um, but I don't think that's the case. The, the truth is that for anybody to reach greatness in any aspect of life, and Kalvachoma, all the more so in the realm of spirituality, it takes a lot of hard work, it takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, it takes a lot of focus and a lot of determination, a lot of grit, and a lot of effort. Um, and that certainly is the, is the case in spirituality. Um, what's a raya for this? So we see, interestingly enough, that it says that when Klai Yisrael came to Har Sinai, so the Pasuk is that they counted Sheva Shabbasos Timimos. The Pasuk says they counted seven complete weeks. And um, Chazal tells us that the word Timimos is going on Klai Yisrael, that they were pure. But how, in other words, they counted for seven weeks and made them pure. So what does it mean they were pure and holy? Tamimus means they're complete with purity. Um, it's, it's, how can they be? You know, the, 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 the measure says that when they came out of Mitzrayim, they were, they worshipped others and the Egyptians worshipped. There was very little distinguishing them between them and the Egyptians. So how can we say now to, they were tamim, they were pure when they received the Torah of Mount Sinai? And the answer to both of these questions is the same. And that is that a tzaddik tamim, tamim is not somebody necessarily who's arrived, but somebody who's fighting the good fight. Somebody who's grappling through the difficulties and the hardships. Who's fighting and engaging with their lower self and the Yetzirah. The Prophet says, Matzil ani mechazak Hashem saves somebody who's impoverished. From that which is stronger than him. That's talking about the Eight Sahara. We are engaged in a battle with the Eight Sahara. That's our purpose in this world, is to overcome our lower self, is to look at the, the drives, the inner drives that we have, our appetites for power and for pleasure, which are insatiable, and grapple with them, and work with them, and try and overcome them, and try and and rise above them. That's what life is about. That's what the opportunity of life is. That's why Hashem put us in this world. So the Tamim person is not the one who's arrived and who's got there and who's defeated the Yetzirah. No, 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 no. The Tamim is the one who's engaged in the struggle, who's fighting the Yetzirah. And that's what Noach was. Noach, even though he wasn't perfect, and even though he was 
Mikatne Emuna, the pas the Rashi the Midrash says. He 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 wavered and but he was trying and he was fighting and he was struggling and he was um you know he he was before the Torah was given, the Gomorrah in Avodazora says on Daftes that for two thousand years Alpine Shana were before Avram Avinu were the Alpine Shana of no Torah. There was no Torah. The Torah hadn't been given yet. Um so however the, the greatness of Noach and the reason why the Torah calls him at Sadiq Tamim is because he fought the fight and he tried and he struggled within himself and he tried to overcome his lower self and to connect with Hashem. Although he wasn't perfect and he wasn't there yet, he was still engaged in that battle constantly. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. Let's end off with another idea about Noyach, another powerful lesson we can learn from the life and times of Noyach. Um, Noyach was a solitary individual. He lived alone because he lived in a world of complete mayhem. The world that Noach found himself in was a world that was filled with kina, taiva, and kavod, which means kina is jealousy, taiva is the pursuit of physical pleasure, and kavod is the pursuit of glory and honor. That was the world that Noach lived in. People were drug addicts, people were sex addicts, people were, um, it was like one big rage. That's what the world of Noach looked like. But Noach was different. It was a very corrupt, immoral world uh, in business as well. Noach, however, didn't, he was, he separated himself from his society. He had no followers on Instagram or on his Twitter account. Noach made himself separate from that world. He was alone. And for 120 years, the world, he was, uh, the Torah says he built his table, his ark for 120 years. They laughed at him. They mocked him. They saw him as this archaic, um, thinker who was caught in the past and who was an absolute fool. But Noah kept his cool and he kept his, he kept going. He wasn't deterred and he wasn't flustered. He kept by his guns, um, as the, Midrash says that Noach was a tzaddik metichilaso ad soifo. From the beginning to the end, he didn't budge, he didn't waver, he remained strong. The Rambam tells us in Hilchus Deus that a person, derech briyaso shal adam, it's the nature of a person, liyos nimshach bedeyosav chaverav. It's a normal human nature that we are very strongly influenced by the outlook and by the Attitude of our environment and of our society. That has a very powerful influence on us and uh, very difficult to resist the influence. There's, there was a famous psychologist. His name was Solomon Ash and he did a, an experiment. It's actually called the Ash Line Study. What he did is he took 10 people and he said to them, um, 10 guys off the street. He paid them and he said, be a part of my experiment. I'm going to bring another person in. And pretend that I brought you all in off the street, but they don't know that you're uh, you're on the payroll over here. And I'm going to I've drawn two lines on the board, a long line and a short line. And I'm going to ask the new guy that I bring in, 
this line, is this the long line or the short line? He'll point at the short line. And the guy will say the short line. And everybody will laugh at him and will mock him and will say, it's ridiculous. Don't be fooled. That's the long line. The angles that confuse you. And that's definitely the long line, not the short line. And so he did that with one person of the other. And these, he, he said, which is the short line. The guy said that one. And they all jumped up in, in laughter and they roared out, no, you're making a mistake. We all can tell you. That's definitely the, the long line. And one person of the other changed their mind and went with the influence of the crowd of the group. Um, so that was, it's a proof for that's exactly what the, the Rambam is saying. The Rambam says to the extent that, um, a person should make a great effort to mitchaber le tzaddikim v'tambe They should associate themselves and attach themselves to righteous holy people. Um, even, the Rambam says, even if you're in your city, you don't have any righteous holy people, rather move to the midbar, rather live out in the desert than be influenced by those that are, have a negative view of life, that those are, see the world in the wrong way. And there are many examples of that, both in Jewish history and both in secular history. The Meiri is one example, Vincent Van Gogh is another example, we don't have time to go into them, but the point is that Noach remained strong, and he wasn't influenced by the herd mentality, and he was able to swim against the tide and straight stay true to his values and his principles. And that's a great lesson for us in our world today. Because we live in a world that I don't think is that far off to the world that Noach lived in. We live in a world of hedonism. We live in a world of nihilism. We live in a world where there's a denial of a creator and a higher morality that we should aspire to live with and to inculcate into our lives. We live in a world of what's called apicorosis, um, the denial of God's existence. And we all know that there's definitely a God, and that the purpose of life is to reach out and connect to that God, and follow the commandments of God, and to raise ourselves above our lower selves. And that's completely in conflict with the values of our society that say that anything goes, and everything goes, and there's no morality, and there's no framework within which we are uh, have to live and we can pull down any of the norms of our previous generations um, that is free reign to anything that a human being desires. So we disagree with that fundamentally. And so we need to be like Merkht and we need to be strong and we need to stand up against um, the pressure from this woke revolution that exists in the world. And we need to be loyal to our values as Jews, loyal to our holy tradition and our holy Torah, and be strong like Noach in serving Hashem, in pledging allegiance to Hashem, and living a life that's dedicated to Hashem. Thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful day.